This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio um, when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Y- yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. I'm sorry, am I bothering you today, I'm I'm trying to get my um, iPad open. Oh no, you're having an iPad problem. You can't see my face because of this microphone, (laughs) which I think is worth keeping, but... Your face or the microphone? Well, both, really. Um, When you think about it, my face more than the microphone, but certainly the microphone. Right. I think the podcast would be diminished by at least 50%. If it was just you talking. 30, 30% maybe. The, the le- Christopher's le- ongoing lecture series. <laughs> sure. I this was... week, the rules of what can touch what, where, <laughs> and at I, what time. We've come up with an agreement here at TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric, which is that I had a little um, housekeeping, literally, that I wanted to do during this episode. So I'm being allowed to Windex stainless steel coasters that we have here in the studio while we talk. Being allowed to is a really broad definition of that. Like, couldn't be stopped from. Um, actually, it was your suggestion, Eric Sharquin. I said, I don't know if those coasters have been cleaned lately. And you said, well, you should clean them during the show. And that I said, okay, challenge accepted, Quinn. That, that isn't what happened. He said, I don't think those have been cleaned yet. Don't you think I should uh, Windex them? And I said, yes, right now. I think right you should now. do it right and away. So I'm doing it. I'm doing so it. So he's doing it while we're doing this or while we're doing this. Instead of celebrating our birthday. But I was going to say we should both be doing what we want because it's our birthday episode. So I'm going to clean things obsessively to not have feelings. And what is going to be your special birthday thing that you do during this episode other than lecturing me on various topics? Is that how you do? You clean things to avoid having your feelings? Yeah. Let's go over to your house and you can show me some examples of that. <laughs> I have a clean house. I have a housekeeper there right now. She's going to feel way better when she leaves. I have this vision of you cleaning stuff to make yourself feel better. The at kitchen. Home. I think it happens mostly in the kitchen. I don't think it happens anywhere else. <laughs> and in only the house. very specific parts of the kitchen. And only if you're coming over. Right. There's a panic. <laughs> 
Panic cleaning. Eric is that, on his way. Oh. That sounds like a very different kind of experience than the one that was being described. Well, we are doing something different today because it is our birthday. Eric is 74 and I am 23. Again. And uh, it is, we thought, rather than doing one of our typical programs here at the Dinner Party Show presents Christopher and Eric, we would do something that um, other people may not like, even especially if they're listening to our podcast. As opposed to the rest of our podcast, which is probably also stuff people may not like, but we don't care. We do what we want to do. But it's it's related to our passion and our obsession, which is talking about ourselves. So I think it's going to tie right in. Actually, no, I'm just kidding. It's Dude, related to... It's not about justifying it to other people. Uh, well, I'm just trying Fuck to... Fuck you. You don't like you're doing what we want. <laughs> Welcome to the Fuck You Podcast. Well, we fuck you. We don't care what you like. Are you listening? We don't give a shit. Whatever. Uh, Leave a comment. No, uh, you like yourself a murder mystery. In fact, you write murder mysteries. I am all about murder mysteries. I am made out of murder mysteries, literally. (laughs) What does that mean? You're made out of murder mysteries. Absolutely. Like, if you watch a murder mystery with me... If you want, I can tell you in the first two to three minutes of the show who the murderer is, and I'm really never wrong. This is, I want to play the contrarian right now and tell you this is not true, but this is true. This is very, very true. Sometimes it even astonishes me. Like, I'll be in the other room cooking, and the murder mystery show will come on, and I will just hear somebody say the thing that I need to hear, and I'll go, that's who did it. And then I haven't even actually seen that character or that actor yet. Right. Just based on something they've said, I was like, oh yeah, that's him. That's the one. So what is what is the number one tell that always sets you off? It really, it varies widely, but the thing that you're always trying to do with a murder mystery is to make it seem like it's anyone except the person that it is. Mm. And so that's how you can tell who it is mm-hmm. because yes. it's the person that it absolutely can't be. So it's like the character who says, well, I was on a, f- a plane from Cleveland to Peoria at that hour, so it couldn't have been me, detective. Absolutely. Right. And that's who it is. And then you find out they weren't really on the plane. Or something. But there is some, or, and they do a whole host of things. Like, they'll do the thing where the very first person who's arrested for the crime and then is proved they couldn't do it and they get it and they get back out of jail, they did it. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or the person who has the airtight alibi that seems like they couldn't possibly, like, the ones that I love is, like, well, detective, I was sitting next to you on a plane at the time of this crime. Mm-hmm. They did it. <laughs> how do you they know? do it, though? How but do they do that's they... your That's your yeah. job as the mystery writer to come up with the incredibly inventive way yeah. that they did the thing that they did. The, the, it is my least favorite Agatha Christie mystery, but it is her maybe, it is regarded as maybe her most revolutionary um, uh, mystery revelation, her most revel- her best mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, early on in her career, um, she wrote a thing called The, the, the Murder of Roger Ackroyd. Mm-hmm. And I'm reluctant to spoil it in case Don't you haven't read it. it. I haven't read it. But yeah. she uses something that is, it made me, I was apoplectic with rage at the end of the book. Uh-huh. I was so upset about the choice that she made, but it is revolutionary. Okay. Like it is one of those like, 
wow, bitch, Mm -hmm. you really did this, didn't you? You did it. (laughs) Okay, fine. I could just wring your neck, but wow, Mm -hmm. you really actually did that. Yeah. And it's about making you lull the person into a false sense of security or a false sense of of the way in which things unfold, and then you turn it on its ear right. at the last possible minute. And so what was the first murder mystery that captivated you as a young person? I ask, knowing the answer. Knowing full well exactly what it is, because it's everywhere in my life. It was Nancy Drew. Right. We were, and it's really, it's an interesting, it's one of those, I look at the things that happened in my life in terms of where I was as a kid. Mm-hmm. We were living in a small town. Right. In Louisiana. It was at the moment of desegregation. Ooh, wow. And my parents, who were both in public education, were in favor, obviously, of having desegregated schools, having equal schools for everybody. Mm-hmm. Integration, right. Integrated yeah. schools. Yeah. And it was not popular. Wow. And we were not popular. And we were more or less in the process. I don't think I fully realized it. At the time, but we were more or less in the process of being run out of town. Jesus. And, like, the lot that our trailer was parked on was sold out from under us. And Wow. Like, they went in and they, the people who bought it chopped down a tree so that it would fall on my swimming pool. Oh, my God. I had a little above-ground swimming pool that I had gotten for, I don't know, my birthday or something. And so they crushed it. Rather than giving me the chance to move it away. Like, somebody tried to run over my sister and I on the way home the last day. We were walking home the last day of school. Right. And we had to jump into a ditch to avoid being hit by a car. Yeah. That was driving on the side of the road. Um, Yeah. It was... So it was an unpleasant time. And we... The trailer was hitched up to a truck and went off to drive the 48 days it still took to take down the... Dirt, <laughs> rutted mm-hmm. dirt road that led to the East Coast where we were going to uh, we were going to live, um, and so we stayed with this lady who lived kind of catty cornered across the street from us. Catherine Peters was her name, mm-hmm. wonderful lady. She taught with my mother um, at the school where mom taught, and she just had this big old wonderful rambling house. And her daughter, who was a grown woman at that point, had moved away. But we stayed, I guess, in her room because there was a whole collection of Nancy Drew books. And every day I would lie in my little—it was a day bed in, surrounded by windows on three sides. Mm. And I would lie up in my bed and read an entire Nancy Drew book. Wow. Every day there was air conditioning and it was mm. comfortable and mm-hmm. it was— Blazing hot Louisiana summer outside. And right. So I would just lie up there in the cool and read Nancy Drew. And it was just this wonderful, completely safe place mm-hmm. and feeling. It's also where I experienced the thunderstorm that I talk about was mm-hmm. in that same bed, in that same moment. It's the uh, like the safest I've ever felt. Wow. Miss Catherine would never let anything happen to you. And nobody would qu- cross Miss Catherine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, was, that was not going to happen. Um and I it just I guess because it was just that really positive association, and I found them fascinating. There would be maps and floor plans. Mm. You know how I love floor plans. You love I, and maps and maps. And I think both of those are. I think that's from that. They, and, the, and then you'd solve the mystery and figure out what was going on. And, you would solve the mystery. Not everybody is capable of solving. I mean, the story does obviously, but you were you able to predict the ending even back then? I don't know that I quite saw that as a thing. I think I had, 
I got started to hone my skills there, mm-hmm. but I don't think I really like it has become like almost like a parlor game for me. Right. At this point. Um, but at that point, I don't think I really saw it in that way. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't really up to me to solve the, the mystery. It's really not even now. Right. Agatha Christie never called and said, Eric, could you work this one out for me? I'm just exhausted. <laughs> um, you know, but um, at the time, it was just about discovering it like mm-hmm. you would read a book. Right. It was yeah. more innocent than that. And my more practiced mind now has gotten into the place where I'm always on the lookout for how to solve the crime. Over the holidays a few years ago, I was watching a show with you and my mother called Death in Paradise, British show. And you two immediately started engaging in trying to figure it out. And it, it was like a revelation to me. I was like, oh, I didn't know you could watch it like this and try to like stay one step ahead of it. I don't know why. It's a crushingly obvious way to watch a mystery show. But it just it became more like a mind game each night rather than just a passive activity. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that moment too because you had been more reluctant to watch murder mystery shows with us up until that. And when you saw that that was what we were doing, it was like, oh, oh right. well, this actually looks like fun. And so then we would start back and forth. Well, right. I don't believe a word he's saying. And mm-hmm. I think it's really so and so. Well, it's clearly going to be about such. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd have your reasons and your support. Yeah. It's, it's part of like, I think it's part of why I enjoy true crime in much the same way. Right. Because a lot of the times when we do a true crime, I don't actually agree with what the findings are. Well, also, and I I was talking about this the other day with somebody about our podcast, when we do True Crime TV Club, we are not bringing you the crime. We are bringing you an hour or an hour and a half coverage of the crime, and we're often critiquing what what the show has chosen to show us. Right. And as we recently discovered, one show just completely lied about the nature of the crime and erased the fact that the victim was gay and was murdered while pursuing sex with other men in an anonymous location. So it's like, it's yeah. more, it, it, it's about talking about how we present these things and um, how we perpetuate myths around them sometimes. I don't mean to make it sound like some big wonky podcast. because Yeah, it's this really is some just, expose. We still love those yeah. true crime shows, but that's a part of it. Yeah. yeah. Seeing the truth in it, seeing what's being presented, seeing between the lines, like hearing somebody tell you a story and go, well, that's not what happened. Just total bullshit. Total yeah. bullshit. Yeah, it's it's it is a part of my sort of general enjoyment of all of that, and I it seems a little morbid, but I don't really focus on those details. Well, I got I got sort of head up with my cousin. Remember, we were hanging out with my cousin recently, and I and I said it's not about swimming in the murder; it's about solving something. It's about the stories that really draw our attention are the ones that have a resolution, right? Yeah, closure, right? Some sort of closure, um, even if. It didn't go the way you wanted. Even if a judgment was rendered that you didn't agree with, there is some sense of being able to follow the narrative all the way through and see what people's choices resulted in. And I think there's something fascinating and illuminating about that. But what was your first—so Nancy Drew was your first mystery um, reading experience. What was your first television experience with mystery stories? Oh, probably I'm going to have to— as I think of it, well, oh, I know what it was. It was Perry Mason. Oh, right. I love me some Perry Mason. I can tell you from the theme music who did it. <laughs> I have seen every episode a thousand times. Perry Mason and then later Columbo and Macmillan and Wife and to a lesser extent McLeod, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was more personality driven than anything yeah. else. And I guess there was a murder, but it was always a little hard to tell. Right. Um, but yeah, it was the... Um, 
It was Perry Mason. Oh, yeah. Perry Mason was very much the kind of, because it was always on, it was like, even, I'm old, but even I'm not that old. Um, and so it was always on in some sort of rerun. It was probably, you know what, I have to say, it was probably also airing new episodes in my lifetime as well. I'd have to look that up. Right. I always think of Perry Mason as being this ancient kind of show. And it really is, do you know, Perry Mason used to be um, a radio show. No, I didn't know that. And when it came time, they wanted to make it into a television show. Um, I'm trying to think of exactly how it went. They made a TV show called Perry Mason, but the radio show became The Edge of Night. Oh, how weird. That... Old soap yeah. opera. The How did that happen? Um, it was the, a lot of the same characters, the same setting. It was a noir kind of um, afternoon soap opera. It was it was adapting what had been popular on the radio directly to television. Very cool. Well, we are going to do something special today that involves murder mysteries, and we are going to talk about the show that was my very first experience of yeah. TV murder mysteries. Wow. Yeah. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press, when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing uh, sets the I, scene. I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? <laughs> Thank you.
So, Christopher, what was your first murder mystery? Did you did you have a book that you read, or no? That was never really part not of as your... a really young person. A, a real thing, because <laughs> clearly I'm so literate. Not as a real young person. I was more uh, choose your own adventure. That was more my thing when I was a young reader. Reading. Yeah, I was more. I wanted spectacle. I the, I had a. Cr- Are you not entertained? <laughs> I had a crush on the Hardy Boys on television. Though. Uh, they were cute. And see, that was the same. Yeah. Kind of books that. Um, right. Yeah. Totally. That, 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 so you it was kind of the same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um. So was the Hardy Boys your first TV murder mystery? I didn't. I was too young to know what was going on. You just saw Hot Men. I just saw Hot Men. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Gay from the crib. Gay from the crib. That's my first album's name. Yeah. <laughs> Gay from the crib. I really was. I was just like, yeah. Um. And there was some Nancy Drew, and she seemed nice. But yeah, I was all about the Hardy Boys. Like I'd hang out with Nancy if she needed. I was the kind of Nancy that Christopher. That was a different kind of Nancy. (laughs) No, the TV show that got my attention because we would always watch it when I was a little boy in the kitchen of our house at Seventeenth and Noe, in the Castro District was. That's my. That's me singing the Murder She Wrote theme song. With no rehearsal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to stop now. But um, And um, it's all on Peacock. And this is not a paid endorsement for Peacock because, as you well know, we gave Peacock a lot of shit. So much shit. So, as part of Dateline Month. Which is also largely on Peacock. They need to put it all on Peacock. I know that's going to be a challenge. It's going to take them years. And they need to organize it better. You need to be able to search within Dateline. Yes, exactly. As a completely separate entity. You you shouldn't have to search the entire um, Peacock domain. No, you shouldn't. To just search. It should be its own channel within Peacock. And you should just be able to. Okay. But, but murder she wrote is on Peacock. Oh my God! It's it is every, it's like ten thousand episodes. I can't believe how much murder she. Angela wrote. Lansbury is richer than Jeff Bezos I mean, off that show. She must be. When I first moved to Los Angeles, um, all of the sound stages mm-hmm. at Universal Studios were painted with giant. Five story pictures of Jessica Fletcher. <laughs> she was everywhere. She was Universal. Universal Studios. Okay, but let's let's be clear about something. Okay, and uh, suddenly the point just went right out of my head. So it's not going to be as clear as you'd originally intended. I, I, you encouraged me to eat a lot of donuts before we did this show. It's I coming really, home to roost. I feel like I get blamed for a lot of stuff that I had nothing to do with, and then mischaracterized You're about things you choose. Diabetes enabler. No. Um, my memories of Murder, She Wrote from childhood were not all good because my most vivid memory was, you know, every episode has the uh, revolution, the revelation at the end, the resolution, and it's usually Agatha Christie style, right, where Jessica Fletcher confronts the killer, a really dumb move for an old woman on her own, but she does it again and again, and she describes what they did, right? And then they show a dramatization of the actual murder, Sometimes. Sometimes. 
uh, this one instance, this woman got in a fight with her husband in a restaurant kitchen. <laughs> she killed him by picking up a giant frozen tuna and clubbing him over the head with it. And I just remembered being in the kitchen of our house in San Francisco, and when that happened, my entire family just lost it. The image of this little woman picking up this giant frozen fish and just clubbing this man over the head with it. So I didn't think like, oh, this is some brilliant show that I need to go back and revisit again. But in the last few years... Just based on the tuna. Based on the tuna. It was an indictment of the entire 15-season <laughs> spectrum of the show. What's the culminating moment of the whole episode is this giant, stupid, fake-looking fish. And also, because it was a fake fish, she couldn't hit him very hard with it. It was like a stunt hit with a giant plastic foam or styrofoam oh, tuna. Usually, the, they don't even show the hit happen. They'll, yeah. they'll show somebody swing, the whatchamacallit, and the other person is out of frame, and then they show the person falling to the floor, but they never right. show the two things no. interacting at all. And he just has, I don't know, fish scales and maybe some wasabi on his forehead. <laughs> right. So I don't remember... Why I, I can't remember who did it first, you or me, but we discovered all the episodes were up there, and it was like, it was you. You watched Murder, She Wrote, and then I was like... Well, it comes on Lifetime. Ah, it was it. It comes on Lifetime. If you turn on... I, I frequently will be tuned to Lifetime, not Lifetime, Hallmark, Murders and Romance, mm. Murders and Mysteries, I think it's called, or no, Romance and Mysteries, maybe. Not I think I'm not a great spokesperson for the Hallmark <laughs> Channel, but it's the the basic cable Hallmark Channel. I think it's Hallmark Bloodshed, actually. I think it's Hallmark <laughs> Gorehouse. Right, Hallmark. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That the sounds Christmas like Christmas movies that are like really hard. disturbing. They do Christmas movies, but they also do all of their the Aurora Tea Garden and the yeah, all that crap Murder like, She Baked yeah, and totally. all of those shows that I also Murder watch. She Baked. Yeah, that makes him laugh. And every she's time. not stoned, ladies and gentlemen. And Chronicle, and, which is about a podcast that solves murders. Oh, that's cool. See, yeah, yeah, they have I, really good shows. There's one about a lady who um, who's world famous for writing crossword puzzles, who mm -hmm. solves mysteries. That's great. Brooke Shields has a series where she runs a um, she's a, a a, a florist, and all of the titles have, you know, smart-ass florist puns in them. <laughs> I love the a potted good, murder mystery. Or I love a good flower. Joke. Anyway, um, but at eleven o'clock, it becomes all murder. She wrote, but they're all cut up, and there are eight million commercials for. I'm falling, and I can't get up. <laughs> Which should be a message to you about the type of content you're watching, Eric Shaw Quinn. <laughs> I'm also the man who's on the subscription for all of the powerful black woman catalogs Are you? out there. So I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm sending out some really interesting signals Absolutely. to the marketing demographics world. And yeah. I, I don't mind that, Like, except for I really couldn't stand having to watch all those commercials at night, and you can't fast forward. And so I thought, surely mm -hmm. it's somewhere on the streaming verse. And so I searched it, and what do you know? It was on Peacock who we had just been giving a ration of shit to. We did a campaign here at TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric called Save the Peacock. Right. Because we felt that Peacock was the most badly run streaming service of any of them. And, and that's it, going some, because most of them are pretty badly run. And the truth is, it kind of still is, but we've changed our tune a bit, because they're doing a show we're very excited about, which is called The Thing About Pam. Oh, my God. Which is coming out, uh, I don't it's remember. based on a soon. dateline of the same name, a podcast of the same name, that we discovered, we did an episode of the 
the show. You'd think we would have looked it up so we could tell you what number it is, but uh, but we haven't. I can look it up. You talk about something cute. I'll talk about uh, the thing about Pam. It was this. I. It was one of those things. I have a, said this on the last episode. I have a terrible. Episode um, six, excuse me, sorry. Didn't take me that long. So you don't need to talk about that thing you were going to talk about. Season what? Episode six of our podcast is when we talk about the thing about Oh, Pam. really? Yeah, it was oh. our sixth episode. Oh, all right. We talked yeah. about, so there you are. So we've been in the Pam we've space. We've been in the Pam game. I mean, I saw it and call. I think I called Christopher up. Yeah. Like, which, ask Christopher, that doesn't happen very often. Like, but it was like, you have Got Wait a minute. To Wait, see this. What doesn't happen? You don't call me very often? I don't often? just grab up the phone and go, yeah. Christopher, drop everything and look, watch Dateline. Yeah. But I knew Christopher loved Dateline like I, I love Dateline. And I it was the most amazing uh, Dateline I had ever seen. I just had never seen. It is just jaw-dropping. It is just, yeah. And so now it's a television series starring uh, Renee Zellweger and a lot of other people who you can't see because and Renee we're Zell- promoting it, even though they're not paying us anything to promote it. So um, kind of to make it up to them for doing the Save the Peacock being, campaign. We which even was made pretty, a graphic, which was pretty bitchy. We made a graphic yeah. for Save the Peacock yeah. with a screaming peacock on it. <clears throat> we're huge bitches. Anyway, so huge, but they also have all the murder she wrote, which has been very right. Fun. And so. that's where I switched over there. And then I told Christopher that it was what I was doing, and we used to, we competed. To see who could get ahead, and then Christopher, okay. I don't know, no. like fell asleep Wait. by the side of the okay. racetrack or okay. whatever. And this is not. I'm, I'm on season three, and he still hasn't started season. two. I don't remember this being a multi-season commitment. Is really what it is about. I thought I was all in for the first season. So we're not doing a TV show together. I can a- tell and you. And then that. you you steamed fast. You steamed fast into season two, and I was like, oh my god, because. This is part of why I suggested this for today. There are some fun episodes, and then there are some not fun some episodes of Murder, really, She Wrote. But that's part of the fun of Murder, She Wrote. Yes. Is that it is really this campy old TV show. Like, if you want great, spine-tingling uh, murder mystery, this is not your show. No, this is this really is not it. quaint and corny and old and not aging well. It's it's what if Love Boat was a murder mystery. <laughs> Love Boat. It's every old has-been from Hollywood that um, uh, not – her name isn't – real name isn't Jessica. Her real name <laughs> is – uh, Angela Lansbury. Angela Lansbury oh. ever met in her whole life get dragged onto the show to play yeah. all of the characters that people come back and they play two or three different characters over the years and it's just yeah it is just really it is but also it's from a time in television history where shows were like factories like they made 342 episodes a year just like, unbelievable like the, we talked I think recently the Golden Palace right which was the doomed spinoff of the Golden Girls that went to another network you couldn't find it forever but after Betty White or around Betty I think it was to celebrate her 100th birthday which also became the moment she passed away they put it all up on Hulu and I was thinking oh it was a failed show it only had one season it's like 27 episodes that's like multiple seasons of a show today yeah that's four or five seasons of a show running currently it is really astonishing how many shows those old and I think network TV really quite frankly, still does that. I think it's part of the reason that they say that as much streaming as there is, most of the TV watched is still network television. But I think they're more around like 15 episodes, maybe. Like, that's a long season if they do 15. Like, like 20... Know. 
seven sitcom episodes. That's like, as B. Author said when she was leaving the Golden Girls, it was like doing a play every week, a different play. Absolutely. Every week. Like, so um, Murder She Wrote. So that I guess I'm apologizing for the show because if some of the episodes are spotty and weak. It's because you were fucking tired, but you were showing up for work because you were making a million upon a million dollars every week or whatever. That was really well stated, wasn't it? Wow. <laughs> I think Christopher's donuts are wearing off. My eyelids are getting heavy, and I feel like you sabotaged me You're by telling me to have donuts. very tacky. <laughs> feeling very crass. Okay, so what we're going to do is this. The longest lead-in ever for our birthdays. Oh, Eric and I are- I forgot it was our birthday. I'm actually two years older <laughs> than I was when the episode started. Uh, Eric and I are going to present to the other and to you, our beloved party people, our favorite episode of Murder, She Wrote from season one and our least favorite episode of Murder, She Wrote from season one. And Eric, and the reason we're doing is, season one is because Christopher <laughs> doesn't watch season. That's not true. I watched, doesn't watch any of the rest of it. I watched one. This is another thing that happens with Murder She Wrote, and there's a lot of pointing going on right now. Party people, I'm Christopher is doing all of the pointing. I'm pointing at Eric. Um, you, we will get in arguments because there are so many locations used on the show that are sometimes from our neighborhood, from 1985, mind you, or. Places we've been in LA that are doubling for other places. And, Arguments. Um, and you will call and be like, I think they used like the JW Marriott in, out in the desert in Coachella Valley on this episode. And I'll watch and I'll be like, that's not the JW Marriott. And he's like, no, it is. They were cheating. I said, it's in Hawaii. No. That. And, you know, we had a whole thing and it was, it was upsetting and it turned me away from the show and I haven't been able to go back. So yeah, I did this episode. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, we love it. It's one of those, like yeah. most of it is shot on the universal back line. Absolutely. And then they do occasionally. One of the things that surprised me was, is it Mendocino? Yes. Cabot Cove, when it is not the the Universal Studios back lot, as you pointed out, which had a harbor scene that I think was part of the Jaws ride as I well. I think so. And they use that a lot too. But, but when they actually do location shoots for Cabot Cove. It's not Maine. It is Mendocino in, uh, County in Northern California. And Jessica's house is still there. Yeah, it's actually there. a bed and breakfast. A yeah. I think it's called Murder, She Wrote, Bed and Breakfast, which is maybe not the best way to sell a bed and breakfast. <laughs> but, like, I don't want murder at my bed and breakfast. You know, I just want breakfast. <laughs> Hold the, the murder. The only thing I want murdered is the bacon. That's right. I want it good and dead. Yeah. Um, and crispy. But, um... But yeah, I I think that's maybe. But it's still there. That house is still there, and it explains and it's why it's gorgeous the, up there. It's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, it's a beautiful but town. The, but it's but it was. I always thought, wow, it looks so. I always thought it was the back lot, all of it, mm -mm. Uh, because it's so cactus dry. It's so match. You know, like it's California is very dry even yeah. up north, and know? so it never looked like Maine to me. But it never. It's still California. So, yeah. So, next up, we are going to do our special presentations of our favorite and least favorite episodes from season one of Murder, She Wrote. It doesn't tie into most of what we do on this show, but it's our birthday, so so what? Um, 
I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. All right, so it's our birthday. And this is our celebration. <laughs> this is how we're celebrating. I'm hoping that Christopher's birthday was a couple of days ago. Mine is a couple of coming. So I'm hoping that there's going to be, I don't know, fireworks or something later. <laughs> Cake at least. Right? Cake at least. All right, what was your favorite episode of Murder, She Wrote from season one? Well, I'll tell you. My, It's one of the earliest ones. It's one of the very first ones. It's called. It's an episode called Birds of a feather. Oh, good. You didn't pick the same one as I did. Okay, great. <laughs> Everybody drinks. Sorry. <laughs> so even my favorite is about Christopher. Um, that's great. I'm so glad that that worked out for you. Um, it is really like, and this is a perfect example of what I was talking about um, earlier is that this is my favorite episode, not because it's the most brilliant or the best acted or the most well-written, but because of the laugh-out-loud quality of mm-hmm. of the episode. Birds of a Feather, if you are old enough or savvy enough, movie-savvy enough, was the name under which they originally released the French film called La Caja Folle, mm-hmm. because a direct translation of La Caja Folle is a cage of, a cage of crazy women, um, <laughs> which, which didn't test well. I would, like, sign me up. That, yeah. I would be in, like, La- yeah. Later, um, Tyler Perry uh, did five <laughs> movies named that, but, but at the time, it wasn't considered it. They called it Birds of a Feather. And... <laughs> The premise is little Jeannie Francis, who you may or may not remember, who was a big soap opera star, um, Luke and Lara. She was Lara of world-famous General Hospitals, Luke and Lara, the mm-hmm. big romance. Right. Um, the wedding of Luke and Lara. Every, God, it was such an event. Mm-hmm. Um, is uh, engaged to marry Jeff Conaway, who mm-hmm. was a cute, noted actor of the time period who— just couldn't help but kept crashing and burning his career for he lasted a good long while, but he was kind of a mess in right. real life and didn't do himself any favors. So he was on Jeannie was probably on to boost Jessica's ratings, but um huh. Jeff was probably on because that was the job he could get. Right. And um Je- uh, Jeannie and Jeff are gonna get married. Jeannie is um, Angela is Angela Lansbury's niece, Jessica's mm-hmm. niece. She's come to visit, and she has this wonderful man that she's gonna marry, whose name is oh, I can't remember his name, but it's Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but the problem is, is that he's moved out to San Francisco. And now he keeps going missing, and I can't tell. And I'm afraid that, you know, maybe he's having an affair. And no, 
turns out he's just a drag queen, so everything's going to be fine. It's like <laughs> it has this kind of Jonelle Sams kind of uh-huh. quality to it. Yeah. Like Jonelle was our, uh, when we used to do the dinner party show, mm-hmm. if you listen to it, Jonelle was our uh, relationship right. person. and Expert. Expert. She yes. was always offering advice, and Jonelle was clearly had been married to a gay man for mm-hmm. about 25 years. And gave great relationship advice, but clearly knew nothing about what was going on at her own house. And that was kind of how this felt. It was like everybody, like there's a point where they're sit, they go to the place where he works because they think that's where he's taken his, you know, the the young woman who he's interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jessica's sitting at the table. She says, "There's something odd about this place, but I can't put my quite put my <laughs> finger on it." There was these, all these, and then it's named after Lakaja Full, and then uh-huh. and then they spend the rest of the episode making it clear that everybody who works at this bar that specializes in drag queen entertainment, they're only ever called female impersonators. Right. And they're all heavily sexually involved with I a woman. I mean, they are in Everybody. rapturous romances Everybody. with a woman. The yes. lead, Michelle, yeah. is this guy who's been sleeping with the owner's wife. The owner gets murdered. It's ridiculous. He's not sleeping with yeah. anybody. And there's, it is really, it is really a campy mess. Um, the ending is like, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. It was obvious for the reasons that I we discussed earlier to me who the murderer was. And if you watch it, you'll see for yourself. But the main thing to watch it for is the campy nonsense of these people pretending that, oh, he's not seeing he's not guilty of murder and he's not seeing another woman. So there couldn't possibly be a problem with me marrying this drag queen. Absolutely. And and no such thing as gay drag queens in San Francisco in, San Francisco, in 1985. None. Did you watch that? I don't haven't had a chance to watch it. I was just on this gentleman's podcast. Matt Bohm is his name. And he did a YouTube video comparing this very episode with an episode of Starsky and Hutch that was made in the 70s where they went to a, a drag bar and they did a drag bar. They had a famous gay drag performer in the episode. They portrayed it faithfully and without judgment and without puritanical whatever. And I think Matt's contention is that this is the difference between the 70s and the Reagan era. That this is how drag queens had to be perceived on network television in 1985. They were straight. There was not even a hint of homosexuality. No mention of the AIDS crisis happening in the gay community in San Francisco at the time. And, uh, you know, the previous depiction was more loyal. Okay, I think that's hysterical that that was your favorite episode. That's my favorite episode from season one. I can't believe. I was so afraid that we were going to pick the same episode because we talked about this episode to death. Mine was... Hit, Run, and Homicide, Um, Episode 8. Now, I have to say, this had an advantage going into it because if I had my druthers, Jessica Fletcher would never leave Cabot Cove. Because for starters, it's beautiful. But most of the Cabot Cove episodes are um, her upbraiding the cranky, old, and slightly incompetent white men of the town. Whereas a lot of times when she strikes out into the world, it becomes about she tries to insert herself into an investigation and the local cop is like, I don't need some skirt getting up here with her big, even though this is like a hugely best-selling mystery novelist who, you know, has has been solving murders all over the yeah, world I'm for sure years. I'm sure the police are delighted to see, oh, you're an author. Oh, well, please who come behind the police solved lines. solved a homicide a week yeah. for 20 years? And if she had stayed in Cabot Cove, she would have been the only resident still living there because <laughs> everybody else would have been murdered. <laughs> That's what, Cabot Cove has guests all the time. Anyway, whatever. 
Um, it's beautiful there. And in this particular episode, Jessica is due to speak at the Founders Day celebration for the town. And she is caught up in the fact that the the local resident who fought in the Revolutionary War that she's supposed to be giving a talk about is um, fought on the side of the British, which is like, oh, don't talk about it. All the townspeople that she mentions this to are freaking out, and you think, oh, God, it's going to be some episode about the Revolutionary War and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then at the Founders Day picnic, a man in a suit comes running down a hill because he is being chased by a car moving at a suspiciously... Slow yet menacing yeah, speed. It's not catching him. That so either the guy can run really fast, and he runs, or a, for some reason this car isn't going very fast, and he's running across this baseball field, and it's it's quite a well executed uh, little bit of stunt work. Somebody trips by throwing themselves just outside of the car. Anyway, whatever. Um, they ask him, "Did you get a, a glimpse at the driver?" And he says, "I don't think there was a driver." Dun 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 dun. So, um, I, Jessica is also friends with a local inventor. <laughs> Can you see where this is going? Uh, Can you already see where this is going? I know where it's going. She, um, and uh, she goes to talk to him, and I can't remember, I actually can't remember the exact connection. You went way deeper on the, on the rewatch of the episodes than I did. I did a sort of like advanced 15 minutes ahead, just about five times to get, give myself a refresher. Um, but he has moved to Cabot Cove because his partners have basically forced him out of his business. They accuse this big invention that he came up with called a security screen, which I think involved laser technology. I love what was considered cool and a big deal in 1985. That like is lasers. Now, right, that is now part of, you know, your pocket square or your yeah. portable calculator or your pen. Yeah. And so... Um, they discovered that this man who came to town and was almost chased down by his car is a former business partner of this local inventor who uh, hates this guy, doesn't want to talk about him, doesn't want to hear his name. Well, then, lo and behold, another out-of-towner shows up and is seen around the harbor asking for a taxi ride to the hospital to visit the first guy. And a car comes around the road, chases him, only he, in a screaming, what do they call it, that rapid close-up, it's like a pan zoom or whatever, they use it in Jaws on Roy Scheider when he sees the boy getting eaten out on the beach. It's like, ah, the camera zooms in. He dies, the car runs him down. So shit just got real in Cabot Cove, is what's happening. So um, uh, they gradually discover that the whole point of this plot is that the inventor's son is engaged to a young woman, and um, she has teamed up with, <laughs> with the former partners in his invention firm because but one— You're skip like, all of that, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And, I, but the thing that's so wonderful okay, about the is, episode— this is, this is the thing, is that Jessica thinks— She, she finds the car. She finds the car, and, and they dismiss her. She says, we have this huge track of wilderness here in Cabot Cove. Have you looked there to see if the car is being hidden there? Oh, no, you can't hide anything there. It's overgrown. So sure enough, after telling everyone that she believes it's there, right, after letting the town know her intentions to go there alone— she goes and she finds the car and she makes the mistake of getting inside it to look around and the door locks and the car takes off with Jessica Fletcher behind the wheel. And Jessica can't drive. And she can't drive. <laughs> 
and it's the worst green screen behind her you've ever seen. Ever, and she just keeps ever making in your whole life. And she looks like, oh well, I guess I'm gonna die. Like yeah. turns her palms up. She throws like, her hands up as if she's dealing with a difficult child. And meanwhile, the car is like bouncing over ridges and going over ricocheting like, <laughs> off of people as it hurdles through the town and towards the cliff at the edge yes. of. There's a, Cabot Go. there's a helicopter shot, which was a big deal on network TV in 1985, outside of a title sequence. And yeah, and then I can't remember, like at the last minute, the car either stops or she jumps out. It stops at just the last stops moment. Stops at the last second. So that scene alone, I mean, that is a classic. That is, in fact, literally that scene alone. The rest yeah. of it is just and if you ridiculous. Care, yeah. For shit, the, the, the that fiance, scene is amazing. The resolution is the fiance teamed up with the. Uh, um, the former partners because the inventor was going to leave his designs when he died to his alma mater and they didn't want it to get, they needed blah, 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 lasers. So yeah, Patents. that was my favorite. It was a patent based yeah, I was like, uh, murder motive. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the name of the company, Womp Electronics. That was my other favorite. Thing. Womp? Womp. I spelled it W-O-M-P. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't know how else you'd spell that. Yeah. It was later, um, it was later uh, reused by George Lucas. Um, <laughs> as a small just, creature. As a small creature in Star Wars. He could shoot a womp rat off the edge of it. It was something. It was a description of somebody's uh, ability, uh, marksmanship. You do this on purpose because you know our sound engineer, genius, Brandon Griffith, is a total Star Wars nerd, and he's back there like, it's not called a womp, it's called a wampus. Womp rat. <laughs> womp rat's right, he just said in our yeah. ear. Okay. It's a... <laughs> he used to See. target them with his T-16. So, yeah. So I'm right. All right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Least favorite episode from season one of Murder, She Wrote, Eric Shaw Quinn. Well, I've Go. got to say, Christopher, this was, a, this was a much tougher choice for me. Really? Yes. Um, first runner-up was a show called Broadway Malady, which um, is just... I. I like you've got to see it to really understand how bad it was. I fully expect it's the one you chose. Um, no comment until it's my turn. Death casts a spell in which all of the witnesses are hypnotized, yes. <laughs> and so they can't see the murder, even though it happens right in front of them, which was just the stupidest <laughs> thing I'd ever heard of in my life. So I have to say, so that's some pretty stiff competition. Yes, it is. Um, you'll hear why Broadway Malady is so terrible, I expect, in just a minute. Mm -hmm. But the one that I had to go with was Paint Me a Murder. <laughs> which one? I forgot this one. Which this one? is the one in which um, Cesar Romero plays a world-famous um, artist who has bought um, an island in oh, the Mediterranean, right. which um, in this particular case uh, is mostly in Pas located in Pasadena, <laughs> and it's completely isolated, um, even though there's this really calm beach at, I assume, Port Point Doom or somewhere around there. <laughs> Malibu, they filmed right, the, yeah. What you call it, where you couldn't possibly get there um, unless you had a helicopter, right? Um, which they have one that flies in a couple of times. That was their big fancy element to this was to rent a helicopter. Um, even though somebody arrives by like flatboat, mm -hmm. uh, it's it's just everything about it is terrible. The thing that's really, really the most inexcusable is that he's supposed to be a world-famous painter, mm -hmm. and he gives one of his—it's his birthday celebration, right. and he gives one of his guests one of his paintings, 
as a gift at his birthday celebration, and it's just awful. I mean, it's just it is one terrible. of the most terrible yeah. paintings. Like, if you're going to make somebody a world-famous painter, then you have to have world-famous painting. Or you have to really go in a direction that's so out there that's like, okay, this is like, you know, that... Was it Rothko painted? Or just don't show the painting. Just don't show I, the painting. I can't deal with that. You can't okay. do the thing where you don't show the painting. I, okay. I can't stand that. Um, Big it has, about It this. has the slowest... <laughs> Murder. The murder yes, takes place that's what I remember. in slow motion. Yes. Like Jessica's walking. She sees him. She sees him on the beach. He's walking in the other direction. Then she hears somebody in the bushes. Then she talks to somebody who comes out of the bushes and she says, I've got to go back to the house to talk to the guy she just saw walking in the opposite direction on the beach, away from her, she's mm. going to go in the opposite direction to go meet him because she has to tell him something. And then some woman, for some reason, who we haven't seen and completely out of frame, screams, and he's been shot in the back with a crossbow. <laughs> which wouldn't which kill him. Which we've watched somebody film, which is aim, for about five minutes in the same bushes. This is the most ridiculous slow-motion murder ever seen. So... Everything about it is terrible. The, the the murderer is exactly follows just the rules that I gave you um, earlier in this episode of how to tell who the murderer is yeah. right off the bat. Uh, but, yeah, the, the motive is as thin as skim milk. Um, what is the motive? Remind me. We're spoiling. The episodes are 30 years old. Oh, it's okay. I didn't spoil yeah, the I'll first spoil. one. I, I'm sorry. If you're looking it's to about, have... The motive is about manipulating the prices in the art market. Okay. That sounds right. All right. Yeah. So at a party of his best friends, the part that bugged me the most was claiming that the island was so isolated you couldn't reach it by boat, even though they were standing on this very calm shore yeah. at the time. It wasn't like surrounded by rough surf and rocks. And right. later, in the, as part of the plot, somebody shows up in a boat, a right. little motorboat, at, on that particular same spot ashore, and Jessica chases the boat into the water. It's one of the flaws in it because she's already wet when she runs into the water, so clearly it wasn't the first take. <laughs> but they used it anyway, and they didn't like have I dry said, clothes. Like I said, it was a factory. They had to get those episodes well, out fast. I think a lot of what they count on in these old shows is that we watch them on something just a little bit bigger than a postage stamp. Right, totally. And so with a line count, you know, that was yeah, pretty pretty spacey and so yeah okay so that was my worst what was your worst you guessed correctly i knew it would be my worst was episode 13 broadway malady it was a turd and this is my big complaint and it's similar to yours with the painting if you're going to have a fake broadway show right and you're going to have a musical that is woven through the plot, you need to exert some effort to either have it be a known musical with decent songs that you can perform snippets of, or you need to actually write something that doesn't sound like a half-baked turkey leg, which is exactly how this sounds, and I'm going to play it for you right now. You can't even like bring herself to finish it. Okay. And the choreography involved her waving her arms and sitting down. Yeah, exactly on a sofa, like she was just too tired of this shit. She couldn't sing anymore. Okay, and and that was part of it, but also um, 
It's about an aging Broadway diva and her son, who is a producer, puts together a show for her and her daughter, who is way more talented than her, to do. Yes. And the plot is ultimately about... Um, there is somebody, there is an attempted mugging, I'm going to put in air quotes, of the brother and sister outside of the theater one night or outside of a restaurant where they all had dinner together. And the sister is injured but not killed. And then it is revealed that the mugger, who is killed because it turns out the brother is carrying a gun that night for protection and shoots the mugger immediately, uh, the mugger turns out to be a former unsuccessful actor. So, oh, it looks like this is a plot having something to do with the play. Um, it had a moment in it that I think you called out, which was a staging issue where a character is collapsed in her kitchen because she has taken a bottle of this pills. This is my favorite part of the whole show. And there was like, the oven is in a place in the kitchen where it's like, an oven doesn't go here. Like, you why is there an oven here? You wouldn't be able to open the cabinet doors <laughs> right, if that oven, was it. It was like they had taken the oven and put it in front of the cabinet because right. they needed, like, what they did was they put it, it's probably not an, a kitchen at all, and they just put an oven in right. this one spot so that it would appear that they were in the kitchen or so they could say they were in the kitchen. Yeah. But there is no oven. Yeah, it, it was just terrible. And, the, you know, the plot is, you can see it coming from a mile away. It's It's the brother has set up. It's an inheritance plot. It's all about the brother killing it's somebody. It's all about it. But I think this is really, I just, I'm going to have to do it again because this is just the worst piece of fake musical I've ever heard. On your way. And everything's okay. Okay. And she sits down on that sofa and, and there's a wave of her it's arm. It's the big finale. It's the big finale. And, um... Yeah, so that was my least favorite episode. Also, when they fake New York on this show, it's really like they've just gone someplace really ugly. That's to shoot. It's probably downtown L.A. before the sun rises or something like that, but it never <laughs> looks like New York. The thing that I learned about this show was that early in the, in the season, they spend all their money on locations. Like there's an episode where they, wow, they went to Seattle, and they're in an actual hotel room with the Space Needle in the background, and you can tell it's actually that because it's lit well and you know all this sort of stuff and then the money runs out for the season as it goes along <laughs> and suddenly it's all Universal Studios God and my favorite thing on Je on the Jessica on Murder She Wrote is Jessica's relationship with hotel suites mm -hmm. like Every Jessica's always traveling somewhere and staying in a hotel suite and they open the door to these lavish yeah. spectacular five-room hotel suites with antique furniture and oil paintings on the wall and beautiful canopy beds and whatever. And she always says, oh, this is very nice. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God, this is the nicest, one of the nicest hotel rooms I've ever seen in my entire life. Are you crazy? Oh, this one I mean, do. it's all on some back set. Yeah, you know, totally. completely a set, and so she's not really reacting to a hotel room at all. I, I think Angela Lansbury is, is a decent actress, but she gets through the scenes on the show like, I, okay, let's do this so I can go home. Like, okay, yes, absolutely. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, I'm there are two, or three, yeah. two or three different muggings that she right. can do, like the, oh, don't be ridiculous, or oh, how shocking, or how could you say that to me? My, that's interesting. Oh, yeah. And that's really all she does, and then it's but the... But the thing that she does over and over again, in season one at least, because as you've pointed out now nine times, I haven't watched the other seasons, is she keeps going, she's a little old white lady who keeps going to confront killers alone. 
like, what are you thinking? Well, I'm not going to go with that 100% because what she often does is have the armed police officer hide behind the ARAB. <laughs> and then she shows up and says, calls them out on whatever. And when they confess, then the guy with the gun steps out from behind and says, okay. That's true. And actually, in my least favorite episode, they fake the death of the old Broadway diva to trick her son into confessing and hanging himself up. So you're right. Once again, Eric Shaw Quinn is right. But it's the, it's the, it's the, um, the murder mystery way. All right. Well, happy birthday, Eric Shaw Quinn. I hope you enjoyed this. Well, I hope I get something besides this show. Uh, You're going to get something (laughs) besides this show. You're going to get the most adorable little ferret you have ever seen. You know, actually, being your best friend is probably the best. And so the show is really, probably wouldn't happen if it wasn't for that. We wouldn't really want to hang out this much. Yeah, I don't think think so. Or talk this much. It's not like there are all these other people that I could do a radio show with or a talk show or podcast or whatever the hell this thing is. I don't know whatever the hell is. Well, thank you, Eric Shaw Quinn. And yes, you're getting a much better gift than this show, and I'm not giving you and a And I ferret. hope you liked your present. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm sure I loved it. It was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. I absolutely loved it. Okay, on our next episode, that's enough birthday talk. <laughs> <laughs> that's enough birthday talk. Uh, all through birthdays. All through birthdays. Um, another year older. Yay. Uh, the first in a true crime pairing. We do this every now and then, where the first episode is going to be a true crime TV club, and then the second will be a dra- dramatized movie about the same case. And because Oscar season is almost upon us right. here in and Hollywood. And it's Dateline Month. Here and at, it's Dateline Month. In honor of the thing about Pam. Um, we are which going to on the 8th. Right. And runs, I don't know if it's going to be a week to week thing or not. We'll have to I see. I don't know. Um, so, next week, the True Crime TV Club is a Dateline episode Murder in the House of Gucci. It's season 30, episode 10. Guess what movie it is. And then in the following week, in episode 120 here at the podcast, we will be doing the Ridley Scott Lady Gaga film House of Gucci. On again, that will premiere actually on the night of the Academy Awards. Yeah, well, absolutely. The morning before, but still. Yeah, exactly. Well, we actually put our shows up late at night on Saturday on the West Coast. So it'll be on the night of not the Academy Awards. So it's like the pre the e- Academy Eve. Christopher makes a liar of me once again. All the time. I like every now every now and then you need to just be a little wrong. Just a little wrong. That's all. Just a little wrong. Um so happy birthday with that bitchy send off. Yeah, that's really that's lovely. Is that happy also birthday. my part of my birthday yeah, that's present? Part of your present. That yeah, thanks. And the ferret. And that lovely thing you got me. Yes. Yeah, it was great. It was my favorite. I knew you would love it. Yeah, I I hope he sticks around. Anyway, uh, until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. (laughs) And I'm Eric Shock. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. This is TDPS.